Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Will Rich. Today, my co-host Patrick Brummel and I play a little catch up. We've been quiet for a couple months as we're each working on side projects. We hope everyone is healthy and managing these pandemic times as best they can in whatever shape or form that might be. Please sit back and enjoy as we dive into more paddling, training, and life on the Wicked Aloha podcast. Yeah, I don't know if you read that quote that I sent you out of that book, but those four pages of a photograph. I did. Yeah, man, but I mean, I've always known that really all the books and all the self-help shit and not self-help, but just books on learning and progressing and doing the kind of things we talk about doing, that at the end of the day, you just have to figure out what it is you want to do, and then you just got to go fucking do it. And the way that that guy worded it was so profound, he was just like, I put all this time into my job and I call it, you know, I say that writing is my priority, but yet I don't do it. It's like your priorities are the things that you do the most. And it's just, it's had me thinking all day, man, of like, you know, I was like, oh, I should be drawing more. I should be playing music. And it's just like, you just got to fucking do it. There's no, it's the same with career. It's the same with everything. At some point, obviously, you know, you've got to pay bills and you've got to, transition somehow so and from my own experience just cutting the fucking cord and jumping in without the resources to carry you through is kind of fucking suicide but you know you just got to find the time to put in an hour or two or three a day that you have instead of fucking around on facebook and instagram and like how much time are you spending on the phone how much time am i spending on screen time like i'm looking at my phone it's like four hours a day like what can I do with four hours? I could play guitar for an hour and I could draw for an hour and still have two hours to fuck around, you know? Yeah. Or I could be working on, but that, that comes back to it. Like the thing we always get into with Johnny O is like, what is it that I want to do? That's the, that's the key, right? If I left the Island right now and I jumped in my car and I just turned down some fucking road, I'm going to wind up somewhere. But if I'm like, if I say to myself, I need to get to Los Angeles by next Thursday, then things become much more focused. It's like you punch in the directions and you find your way there. So for me, I need to get clear on, okay, if I don't want to be doing carpentry, what is it that I want to do that's going to make me some money that I can, you know, and and not, you don't have to enjoy it all the time, but just something that's a little more engaging, you know what I mean? So I think that's, that's the, uh, the takeaway from that whole thing. I was having an interesting conversation with somebody, um, probably two or two months ago, probably in July. And it was kind of on the same thing where we were talking about work and um, she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do or how to find the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And the problem was that she had to go to work. Right. Because she was working somewhere she didn't want to be working. Yeah. But you have to go to work to pay the bills right in order to be able to do the things that you want to do right and um it's like you said you, you can just jump right in but that might be suicide yeah and, uh you know we we did um a little check-in with the whole pandemic thing a few months ago and uh i i took my 
pandemic coronavirus time and tried to make the most use of it. I saw it as a great opportunity where I was still getting paid this time by the federal government, basically to do nothing. And Mm -hmm. so that allowed me to focus on things I wanted to do. And so four months later, still in a pandemic, um, I've come down a road where I'm, I think, in a much better situation than I was going into it. Yeah. Yes, I had help from the federal government, like many people have. But but there's a a clear difference between getting help from the federal government, focusing in on something you want to do that you just haven't had time, figuring it out to a point where you can possibly better whatever financial, personal, uh, career-wise position that you're in and then come out come out better on top or you can get help from the federal government and netflix and chill for six months and then go back to your job when the world opens back up and still be complaining about things yeah so it's it's all just a matter of doing the work in in my case it was a matter of discipline where i had to say okay I'm getting up at this time. I'm doing this from this time to this time. And then I have to sit Wait. down and do this for mm-hmm. X amount of hours per day and not do Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, news website scrolling for five think, hours a day. I think that is the key right there is the discipline. Because given the opportunity, I would I would venture to guess that 95% of the people that took the assistance checks either, like you said, Netflix and chilled or like bought a surfboard and went surfing or bought a bike and just like bought this shit. And then, but you know, that being said, maybe not everybody is completely miserable at their job, but that if there are people who are dissatisfied with their career, and they did nothing other than spend their checks and like not make any moves towards changing that. This was a really good opportunity to make some huge change for a lot of people, man. Thank you. Look at my look at flow. I'm gonna get in the coffee time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's got grounds in it. Can I get another? No. Look look at that delivered coffee. How's that, right? During a podcast, coffee delivered right to your desktop. Ah, it's working so good. Oh, my God. There's a business idea for you. Delivering coffee. Yeah. Oh, wait. Probably exists already. Yeah. Called DoorDash and Instacart. Yeah. So back to that topic, I think the key is, I mean, obviously, you had a clear goal on, and it doesn't have to be like, I think a lot of people get hung up with the analysis paralysis, as they call it, of like, oh, well, what do I want to do the rest of my life? And I don't think it has to be that. But I think what was beautiful about what you did is you wanted to get your personal training certificate. And all of a sudden you have this opportunity, like I'm getting paid to not work. I have this amazing time. That I can study my ass off and do this line jump that would take me six, eight months if I were working full time. Which I was trying to do while I was working and it just yeah. wasn't 
Yeah. No. Oh, man, when you work all day, the last thing you want to do when you come do come home is like fucking focus on something for two hours, you know? Yeah. Your brain only has so much time in a day to like focus on a task. And when you burn it out at eight hours at a job, you know, then you go home and it's like, oh, I need to study for two hours. It's, it's hard, man. And I think, you know, they always say the 1% and I would take it past the monetary meaning of that statement and that it is very few people that will actually do the work personally and physically to achieve what they want. You know what I mean? And a lot of people have said that there's very, very few people who are going to take the time to do the personal work and the, and the work that it takes to get to that place in their life. Yeah. No, I, that, there's, there's a book I want to read and I, I, I don't even know what the substance in the book is. Um, but just based on the title, I'm inferring what it is about. And it's kind of about what we're talking about. And the title is uh, Discipline Equals Freedom. It's by Jocko Willink. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. And if you think about think about that phrase, discipline equals freedom. So true. You know, some people would think, well, you know, that's not true because you have to do X, Y, and Z. But uh, what, you know, what you were just saying is if you're, if you're disciplined in, in doing X, Y, and Z, you eventually build, build up to a spot where you have the freedom to right. do whatever, right? Whatever you want, right? And um, so, yes, you you have to sit and grind and be disciplined and make yourself do things that you don't want to do. But yeah. in the end, you should be able to eventually be able to lay off the gas and have some freedom. Yeah, absolutely. That's what was in that sense. It's on my to read list. Yeah, I think the problem. The, the way that Amer a lot of Americans, like America Americans, think of freedom is that I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. But the problem with that mindset is that it never leads to any accumulation of any kind of substance, right? So back to your point of you have to be disciplined. So in my line of work, being a carpenter, right? Today I was doing, and yesterday all week I've been doing this, in a really intricate finished staircase where all everything is is closed and and that required i couldn't have done that shit 20 years ago it took 25 years of doing this shit and now i can just like walk into a room look at something visualize what needs to go where and i can do it i have the freedom now to manifest whatever i want in my mind because i've put 25 years in in this discipline i couldn't do that without it and it's and, the same with anything and you're disciplined to do it for five hours and actually do it for five hours yep. rather than yep. half-ass it for eight hours right. and get it done yep. in a yep. shorter amount of time. So therefore you have more freedom to do whatever yep. you want with the rest exactly. of your day. Exactly. Like, like sit here and drink coffee with my asshole self. Ah, yeah. But think about like musicians too, right? Like look at, you look at a guy like Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist, and he could probably, somebody could just be like, Hey man, play this. And he's probably just because he's been, playing a cello 10 hours a day for 45 years. So he's a, he's earned the freedom to do whatever the hell he wants on the cello. And I think that's, that's something that we as Americans need to get clear on is that freedom isn't just like, Hey man, I want 15 guns and I want to be able to like, you know, flip off a nun or whatever it is that people want to do. It's like, 
freedom is freedom is putting in the time and having the resources and the skills in place to be able to do anything that you want to do, right? It takes work. Freedom, it is, dude, that title nails it. Discipline equals freedom. I got to read that book too. I might actually buy it on eBay if I can find it. Yeah, he's he's got a, I think it's two or three different books and uh, the, the titles all kind of draw you in. And um, I've got the, his first audio book, the um, something ownership, extreme ownership. Extreme ownership. And yeah. he, he wrote that with um, another uh, single dude. Leaf. Yep. Can't remember his last name. Yeah. Plus, Jocko writes Cooper Fishes, man. He writes Gene Cooper's longboards, which are like the sweetest longboards in existence. So he's got that cred going for him, too. And he's a New England guy. Is he really? He is. Wow. Who knew? I knew. Wow. Ding, you get a prize. <laughs> uh, he, he, he's an interesting dude, for sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you mentioned it. I, I did um, become a certified personal trainer, which you don't really need. You don't really need the little piece of paper to put on your wall. Um, but for whatever reason, everybody likes to see it. You don't need you know, a stand-up paddle instructor certification either from the – Yeah. But you, people like to see it. People like to see it, and uh, insurance companies like to see it, and mm. companies you're working for like to see it. And so – um, I just, uh, I did it. It was a lot of early mornings and I, I found that the 4.30 to 6.30 hours were the best hours for me to get things done. Yep. So I just uh, kind of hammered down even though I, I had no reason to wake up at 4.30 every morning and got that done. And um, from there I continued and I became a breathing coach. So now I am a breathing coach as well to go along with um, my personal trainer. Awesome. Coaching. You got that through Larry's program? I did. I did the XPT program. It was awesome. I, it was just like a self, self-taught, go through all the um, computer modules, watch the videos. There's like, I don't know, five or six different tests that you take. And... Um, and then it just it sends you all this added reading to reinforce everything that they taught and mm -hmm. scientific papers to reinforce why they're doing what they're doing and the methods and um, kind of the, the method behind the madness. Because doing some of this stuff, you really, like when you're doing it, you're like, wow, this is, why am I doing this? This, mm -hmm. is, this is completely pointless. I see no no use to it. But once you get into the exercises and start, start doing these different breathing protocols, uh, you can eventually see big payoffs when it comes to physical activity, mm -hmm. I think, as far as uh, your performance and also recovering from whatever you're doing, whatever workout you're doing. If you're doing a surf session, if you're running up a mountain, whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you're able to, if you can control your breath, you can control your heart rate basically. And if you can control your heart rate, you control, you know, your body and um, kind of re recover faster. So mm -hmm. it's been a really interesting process and um, I'm, I'm still reading about it, even though I'm kind of done with the, the coursework. I, I picked, I read the oxygen advantage by Patrick McCowan, which is an awesome book. 
Um, most of most of the Laird XPT class is based on on that book, The Oxygen Advantage. And then you you actually read a book called Breath, correct? By by James Nestor. Yeah, yeah, I read The Oxygen Advantage in uh, I think it was in January. But I also that that Breath book from Nestor is getting around. Everybody's like. Everybody I know is texting me like, "Hey, have you read this book?" Like, "Yep." It's a, the thing about that one is, the oxygen advantage is, is a pretty techie read. There's a lot of like super kind of super tech. I don't think it was that bad. Yeah, but it, comparing it to Breath, like the, the one Breath is more like first-person storytelling, and it's very easy to read. Like, I burned through it in like, you know, maybe like six hours or something, eight hours. It was a quick read just because it's like. It doesn't have you thinking a lot. Everything is just like, oh yeah, me and this guy put tape on our mouth and then he farted and we ran down to Taco Bell and, you know, but <laughs> just like that kind of storytelling, you know? It's really, it's so you, you just kind of hit a note for me. Um, it's really interesting to think about how much time it takes to read a book. Yep. Um, growing up and even still now, when I have a book in front of me, I, it just feels like such a monumental task to read it when in reality it only takes eight hours. Yeah. Um, I, I listened to the David Goggins can't hurt me book. Yep. Um, and that was, I think a 13 hour audio book. Yep. And that was in addition to him, uh, interjecting after every chapter and yeah. giving some backstory. And yeah. so, you know, if you can, if you can invest eight hours of your time, which is like we just mentioned, maybe two and a half of your days of scrolling on Instagram slash Facebook slash Twitter slash whatever news feed you're on, then think about the knowledge base that you can increase over the course of a week, a course of a month, two months, a pandemic all of a sudden you have this library of knowledge just by, you know, reading a book rather than yeah. reading your phone. Not to yeah. say that there isn't, isn't good stuff on, on Instagram. Um, I think there's a lot of valid, um, especially coming from a, a training point of view, there's some, some really great people out, coaches out there that are, you know, really kind of changing the way people train and, and exercise and, and those, really yeah. those can make different different changes in how you perform. And so I, I think there's some value there, but you can certainly get sucked down the wormhole of some guy oh. skateboarding and chugging a thing of ocean spray. Yeah. As we talked about yesterday. Yeah. So it's just it's just interesting to kind of take uh it takes eight hours to read a book. Yeah. Which and just as it would take You would, you would think that that wasn't the computer stalling. That was me. But what's, you know, what's better to do one six hour blast of exercise and be destroyed for a week or just do 30 minutes a day. That's the same. Like I read when I get up and I read before I go to bed so I can accumulate, you know, I can get an hour in a day and then on the weekends I can put in some more time. But the cool thing about reading, and I always, I always had heard this, like I never, ever read. Like I'm 52 now, and this is the first year. I set a goal, a January one. I wanted to read 10 books this year. I'm at 19 now. So I've been like, yeah, that's good, man. But the cool thing about it is, 
is it's like getting in shape. Once you, once you get past, I forget what that term is where you, where you backpedal, like you reread shit and you, and you just get more into a flow of how to read. It's a skill. It's like, it's like playing music or, or exercising or, once you once you do it more and more and more, all of a sudden it becomes much easier. And now I find it's just like, I mean, this is that one I was showing you today. It's right here. You know, it's just it's so fun to just pick up and like burn through a chapter. And that's what was the name sorry. of that book? And it it is everything that remains. There's these two guys, um, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. They have a, a website. I think they call themselves the Minimalists. And basically, I'm halfway through it, and this guy was like big shot, like corporate dude in Detroit or Chicago or somewhere, had all this material shit, and then his mom died, and then his wife left him like a month later. And he got tuned into this kid, Colin Wright, who's like the super minimalist guy. And he just started reading about the philosophies of minimalism, which it's not about like, I own three things. It's it's about only, from what I understand so far, it's about only owning things that bring value to your life. So, you know, basically, like, if you have a surfboard and a canoe and, you know, a guitar and some, you know, a few valuable books, but just getting rid of the clutter. Like, people have storage units full of shit, and it's like, why do you have that stuff? It just occupies space in your brain, you know? Just like a cluttered house. It's like, how can you relax when you when all you're thinking is, I've got to organize this place? But anyway, it's really good. So far, I'm five, six chapters in. It's really good. Yeah. One of the better books I've read this year, actually. Are those the same guys that, that did the documentary about minimalism? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I I really wasn't a fan of that documentary, but I seen it. that that little expert excerpt you sent us earlier uh was was definitely yeah. good and worthwhile and, and yeah. relevant. So Yeah. And that's another thing I'm finding with reading is that when I first started, I had this idea that you had to retain everything that was in the book and things. But what I've found is that even if you only take one little snippet away from a book, it's like meeting a person, right? You interact with a stranger and that person puts something into your viewfinder that shines the light on it in a way that you've never seen it before. It kind of changes your perspective of something. That's kind of what books are. Some of them you read through the whole thing. And it's like, well, that was a turd. There's been a bunch of those this year, but, you know, I don't know if I'll get anything else out of this one book, but that one snippet of like, you know, passion isn't about excitement. It's about the drudgery and like you said, developing a deep enough skill set that you can get into that flow state and create whatever you want. It's not about like being all jazzed and excited and going surfing and living in a van and taking pictures for Instagram. I mean, if that's what you want to do, it's great, but yeah. Now there's, you know, I, I did quite a bit of reading for the personal training thing. And so I, I kind of had to step back and just not go cross-eyed with that. Yeah. But, um, definitely enjoyed the oxygen, oxygen advantage. Breath is up next. Cool. And, uh, then I, I might reread a couple other books um, like The Prophet and uh, The Alchemist. Yep. Those are two that keep coming across my radar in different places. And I just, I want to give them a reread because I think the last time I read them was probably around seven or eight years ago. And it's just good to reacquaint yourself with, with good stories that have good 
Yeah. Good themes. So. Yeah. And it's good to also switch gears away from uh, a heavy substance like right learning literature, something of science, and yeah. moving on to um, something else. So. Yeah, just letting your mind drift. Speaking of books, are your books color coded behind you there? That's awesome. They sure are. That's they awesome. sure are. Wow. I, so I wanted to do it uh, by size. Yeah. But Diana wanted color-coded, and color-coded was um, organized oh. enough for me. I think it looks cool as hell. I think it would be cool to do a color coded by size so it would almost look like uh, yeah, a graph it, it would look like a descending color chart that went back up into another color yeah almost almost like a heartbeat yeah that's how i would see it maybe that's if cool. i get really bored and want to uh <laughs> do something fun that might be a project yeah when are you guys opening up so supposed to be october 15th and that is the time i mean technically you know hawaii is open but yeah. there are restrictions in place that uh kind of make you quarantine so um for instance if you were to come here as a visitor I believe you wouldn't be able to rent a car for two weeks. Wow. Like they just wouldn't rent you a car. And wow. you may also be sent to a certain hotel where uh, the room key is changed every single day. And so therefore they can tell who has been breaking quarantine because if you leave your room, then you won't be able to get back in because your key won't work. That's fucking crazy. Um, I don't know. I actually don't know. I haven't interacted with anyone who uh, is from another state who has tried to come here. Uh, the only people I know of that have gone through the quarantine process have been people who had left the island and then came back and live here. They live here permanently. So they just quarantined at home. And uh, the funny thing is that nobody checked on them. Hmm. to see if they were actually quarantining. Um, and so that I, I found that pretty interesting. Like no phone calls, no in-person check-ins, nothing. Just yeah. uh, They just kind of took the person's word for it that they would be quarantining. So, yeah, when I, when I got off the plane from California, there were, the first time, about a month and a half ago, the people on the plane were, said something to the effect of, each state has its own parameters of what you should do if you've been traveling. All that information is on JetBlue.com. And then they said the same thing the second time when I got back a few weeks ago. But then there were people in Logan that had like clipboards and they're like, have you filled out the traveler's something form? And everybody was just like, yep, done it. And they're like, okay, thanks. Just walked right on by. Yeah, catch, uh, let's, let's do a little catch up um, because just kind of reeling back for a minute. We haven't actually podcasted for oh, almost two months now. Yeah, so we, we took a little break, um, but we each had our own things going on. Um, mm -hmm. 
I kind of started work a little bit and I was working on my training stuff and other stuff. And what, what have you been getting into? Cause you have been doing quite a bit of moving around and. Yeah, a lot of uh, nothing really. Um, the first couple months, well, since we last talked, what has happened since we last talked? Well, I bought shaping machine finally after you know how many years I've been thinking about 10 years. I mean, I started shaping race boards in 2010. So since, since then probably, so it's been, it's been 10 years. It's been on the kind of the bucket list and, so this is a CNC machine? Yep. Yeah. And, and what are its capabilities as far as board shaping goes? So the thing is with the difference between like somebody asked me the other day, is it basically like a giant 3D printer? The difference between a router, which is basically what this is, basically this machine has a, you know what a router is, right? It's a motor yeah. shaft. And it so basically a router is a deductive process, a reductive process, and a printer is an additive process. So a printer will actually take shit, melt it down, and add it and build something from nothing, whereas a router is more like classical sculpture where you would take a block and remove everything that's not part of what you want to be there. So this thing is a lot of uh, nothing really um, – the first couple months, well, since we last talked, what has happened since we last talked? Well, I bought shaping machine finally after, you know, how many years I've been thinking about 10 years. I mean, I started shaping race boards in 2010. So since, since then probably, so it's been, it's been 10 years. It's been on the kind of the bucket list. And so this is a CNC machine. Yep. Yeah. And, and what are its capabilities as far as board shaping goes? So the thing is with the difference between like somebody asked me the other day, is it basically like a giant 3d printer, the difference between a router, which is basically what this is, basically this machine has a, you know what a router is, right? It's a motor shaft and it, so basically a router is a deductive process, a reductive process and a printer is an additive process. So a printer will actually take shit, melt it down and add it and build something from nothing. Whereas a router is more, like classical sculpture where you would take a block and remove everything that's not part of what you want to be there. So this thing is, I think it's currently the biggest one on the East coast. Um, and you have it. And I have it in my garage. <laughs> but there's really so not a lot of business. How, on big of, how big of a board can you shape? 18 feet by four feet wide by like two feet thick. <laughs> So anybody who needs any sort of board shaped, yeah, you can pretty much put a and, file into and, a computer and then yeah. uh, it makes a file and then the CNC machine takes a block of foam and turns it into that board that you designed. Yeah, yeah so the CAD software that I use is Shape3D. It's a French company. So basically, they, it's a pretty standard CAD process where you have lines and curves and then you have control points along those curves. So you basically... You have three windows in the design function of the software where you, you're, you're looking down on the top, which is the outline. You're looking at the side, which is the profile. What the hell is the other one? I guess you're looking at the, wait, you're looking at cross sections. So slices, they call them. So if I were to cut a board in half in the middle, it would, you could see the, the shape of the, the half of the board. So with those, what those are, you just you, what you're doing is you're inputting 
coordinates on a three at on in a three-dimensional plane, right? There's X, which is front, like I'm looking at you front to back. Y is shoulder to shoulder, and Z is butt to head, right? So I can take one point, say it's the center stringer of the board, and it's say it's a 12-foot board, and I want to put a point exactly in the middle. So I put a point at if there's the Y, say my, my overall Y, my machine, my side to side shoulder travel, say it's 24 inches. So I put a point at 12 inches and then I put a point at that same point would be 12 inches side to side, six feet front to back. And then wherever I wanted it up and down to that. So what CAD software does is you, you put in, it's a pretty substantial amount the, the, the curves you place these curves. Each curve has about four points on it. So these points go into the computer and then you've got your various slices and then the computer calculates all the points in between that. So basically the points are like a millimeter apart, not even that, they're even less, but the computer, basically every signal it gets are, is an X, Y, Z coordinate, right? So that first one would be six, 12, eight, and then it's, 6.0001, 12.0001, and it just reads these numbers so fast that the, the tool follows this path of three-dimensional points in space, and that's where you build the board. So you're designing, you're, you're putting these commands into a shape, and then the machine interprets the commands and cuts the shape instead of you cutting it by hand. It's pretty fascinating, and it's really not as complicated as it sounds, but... That's pretty awesome. So yeah. you can you can make pretty much anything you want that is 18 feet long by four feet wide. Well, here's the thing, man. After talking after talking to Kai, and he is like hand shaping his OC1 prototypes, I can very easily take my file out of Shape 3D, put it into Rhino, slice off the first three feet of the boat, put that block into my machine, and carve the rear the rear 18 feet of an OC1 put a second block in, carve the front three feet of the OC1, glue them together and glass it and have an OC1 prototype like right here in five days. Or you could do two 10-feet sections. Or you could do ten, two 10-feet sections. <laughs> but it would be wise to do the um, the cockpit in uh, you know the sitting area in one, one shot. Piece. Yeah. The nice thing about this machine too is it has a fourth axis, which allows the tool to swivel on the Y-axis. So what happens is it, the longer the tool bit you have, you only have so much Z travel, right? So say I got 24 inches of Z travel and then I put a 12 inch bit in there because I need to get in deep. Then I reduce my Z to 12 because now I've taken this 12 inches and I can't go, you know, I only have 12 inches for that bit to travel. But so what you can do with the fourth axis is you can actually tilt the machine, the cutter, so that the motor doesn't strike when it's going down. So I can go down as far as I want and cut out those foot wells with this fourth axis and like totally do shit that's not possible on other machines. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing piece of equipment. I just got to figure out how to uh, communicate with it. That's where the, the big bottleneck is right now, but it's coming along. It's incredible. Yeah, it's nuts. And then the other project is right before we went to Yukon, I told you I bought that. I bought a Ford, 1969 Ford F100 in Bend, Oregon from a guy. And the big pipe dream then was we were going to drop you off and Jay and I were going to take the train or something back down from Fairbanks to, uh, to Ben. 
and then drive the truck across country. But it turns out that the truck had a, a fried, uh, somebody's burned the crank bearings out on it because they ran it without oil. So I had it towed. So that was July, June of 2018, I bought the truck. And then about a year later, it sat, it sat in a mechanic shop up there for like 10 months. Then I had it shipped to my cousin's farm in the Central Valley in California, where I took the motor out and by stroke of, stroke of luck, uh, was put in contact with this machinist who used to drag race with my uncle when I was a kid. I used to go to the drag races with my uncle and he'd let us like change the jets and his carburetors and shit. And like we were his pit crew. We were like 13. My first beer I ever tasted was in the back of an RV in the pits at a drag race. And I poured it out the window. I was trying to like look cool. So I'd act like I was taking a sip and then I'd kind of pour some out the window and it, was, it tasted like shit. But anyway, so this guy, uh, Dave Lawrence, I handed the machine off to him 11 months ago, and it took him it took him 10 and a half months to get it done just because he's so busy. And he doesn't really do this type of engine. It's a really basic straight six. So he, the motor's done. I ordered an aftermarket transmission. I'm putting – so basically everything that moves on the car is new and updated. So the motor's new. Transmission, I'm switching into a five-speed manual transmission with overdrive so I can run on the highway at good speeds. I changed the rear end to a, a limited slip differential so I can semi-four-wheel drive it without getting stuck. So if one of the wheels spins, the other one kicks in. Um, it's like a pause track, but it's, it, it tells itself when to, when to spin or not to spin. And then I upgraded the axles from 28 spline to 32 spline, which just means it's a bigger diameter axle shaft. Cause I had the same truck that I used to take to Baja and I snapped a few axles down there. So I upgraded the axles and, uh, eventually my, my budget for this round is kind of expired. So the next round is going to be disc brakes. And then I'm going to do a, a frame off probably next year. I'll pull the body off the frame and sandblast everything and then paint it like new and then put it back together. So it's like basically a new truck. And the only reason I did it is I used to love my old truck and I'm so fucking tired of like hooking a scanner to my car and linking it to my iPhone and trying to figure out what's wrong with my car where this car is like, if you've got a basic socket set and wrench set and some screwdrivers, there's nothing on this car that can't be fixed. There's no power brakes. There's no power steering. Everything is going to be simple, bare bones. And if I take care of it and keep the salt off of it, there's no reason it's 51 years old now. There's no reason it won't last me till I'm dead. Well, so. it's, it's 51 years old, but it's got a new engine, a new transmission, that's and what I mean. a new motor. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. But, but it's like <laughs> they built shit to last. Like the, the structure of the vehicle is, is totally solid. It's yeah. not like this new plastic stuff where you, you hit a cat and the fender falls off, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I remember um, texting you a couple of weeks ago and bitching about how one of the plastic panels in my truck was squeaking and it wouldn't stop squeaking and I was driving and I was like, damn, I wish I had that 69 Ford because <laughs> that wouldn't be squeaking. It would just be rattling and it would, be, it would sound endearing. Um, <laughs> you know what? And in Hawaii, there was I was looking at uh, like the old Toyota 4Runners, like the 85 to 90s with the top that came off, the back top. Yep. And the That's last from the other day. Yeah, the last year they made a solid axle was 85, and they went to independent front suspension. But there was one in Hawaii that was like factory showroom condition. I think it was on – it might have been on Maui. It was either Maui, Hawaii, or the Big Island. 
and it ended up selling for like 18 grand, but it only had like 90,000 miles on it. And those things, mine went to 320 before I retired because of rust. Well, con considering a, uh, a cruiser car that you don't know if it's going to start every day it goes for around two grand. Yeah. The start. Uh, yeah. 18 sounds like a bargain. Yeah. Yeah. By the time I'm done with this thing, I mean, I'm probably like 13 to with the cost of the truck, I'm probably like 15,000 in it now, 16,000. But when you think a bare bones Tundra or F-150 is going to run you at least 30 to 35, all upwards of, I mean, yeah, some like, of fucking, some of those Raptors are like a hundred grand, man. Oh yeah, the Raptors are. They they start around seventy or eighty. Mm. But I just, <laughs> it, for me, it was just an an effort to simplify my life of like having a truck that if I'm driving somewhere down the road and something happens, I can fix it. I don't have to rely on anybody. It's there's no reason I can't get another 10 solid years out of it now without doing anything I mean, everything is new bearings new joints it, it's it should be pretty fun and so you're leaving again for california on tuesday for your third trip out there yep yeah it would have been it wouldn't been a, have been a third trip but there were some miscommunications i think originally i gave the wrong zip code to the transmission people i gave them a berkeley zip code that was my mom's address as opposed to my cousin's address so the, the transmission was late showing up, but then when it did show up, uh, there's there's two different types of clutches in that type of truck, and they sent the wrong type of clutch. So that's been rectified. The clutch is there, and then when I put the axles in last trip, um, they're all custom made per order. And the guy, uh, normally the people that order those trucks those axles it's a ford rear end but a lot of people use them in chevy cars just because it's such a reliable rear end so he drilled the axles for a chevy five bolt pattern which is five by five and mine's five by five and a half which is a ford five bolt so those are coming those i got the tracking number today so everything is there so the hardest part you're gonna have to find is a roof rack for that truck unless you build it out of wood <laughs> I know. Well, my brother's a welder. Or you weld it. Yeah, my brother's a welder, so I'll have him do it up. But I want to build a camper shell for it. That's my next composite adventure is doing like a slide-in camper with a cab over for a sleeper out of Divinicel and carbon fiber, just super light, super bomber. But I have to because it's only a half ton, and those trucks don't handle weight very well. Did so. you ever read Travels with Charlie? No. By John Steinbeck? No. Uh, so it's it's about a guy who goes on a road trip with his dog, but he, he has this truck that he, he builds up and he builds a camper for it and uh, drives all around and uh, he just has self-realizations. And uh, oh, i got to read that. Hold on, I'm going to write that down. It is the book that made me um, really enjoy reading Steinbeck. So... Put that on your, put that on your list. Um, that's gonna have to because with this road trip. So yeah, to conclude that long-winded story. So Trace is flying out. Uh, I'm flying out Tuesday. She's flying out on Saturday or Sunday. And then uh, by that time, I should have everything together and have the motor broken in, and have the car dropped at the exhaust shop in town. And then she and I are gonna go to this. Um, 
cool little hotel on the cliffs in Big Sur that's been in this show called Ratchet. That's a, a, a prequel to the movie. Uh, it's a new Netflix, I think it's a Netflix show that she watched, and it's a, like a prequel to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's kind of the backstory of this nurse Ratchet who's in there. But anyway, she stays at this hotel, so we're going to go stay at that hotel for two days, and then we're jumping in the car, and we are trying to get to St. Louis by the 30th, which is her 50th birthday, and we'll spend it with her family, and then we're going to race home for Election Day and watch the world un unravel. That's that's some pretty awesome stuff. Um, yeah. It took about a half an hour to <laughs> spew it all out. But. So it, what, what's interesting, I think, you and I, we both paddle competitively. Yeah. Or we used to. Yeah. Um, I'd like to. I'd like to continue, but but this this pandemic kind of put a, a pause on everything, and um, I wonder if you know racing had actually happened this year, if I would have done half the things that I have done, right? Right. You know, in addition to training three or four times a week in 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 the canoe. You know, then you have races every weekend. It just becomes yeah. a becomes a huge time commitment. Yes, I still would have had time off, but um, you know, your your focus is there. And for you, racing stand up paddle boards or, or canoes out there, almost every single race was canceled except for just yeah. a few that have happened this month. Uh, I think the Chucktown Showdown happened, Key West Classic happened, and. Yeah, so that's actually a new one. It's uh, John Batson's uh, Olakai Low Country Paddle Battle is the one. Okay. They, they had 140 people turn out, which is like twice what the Chucktown has been in recent years. Yeah, but I mean, all, all the big big races, like like the 11 City Race, got canceled on Tracy. Well, it didn't get canceled, but Americans couldn't go. Yeah. Uh, in Europe. Um, the the Chattajack, uh, we talked to Ben Freeberg earlier in Europe. Yep year and you know he was pretty gung-ho on having it but then he made the decision he and kim made the decision to to cancel um that one got canceled all the canoe races in hawaii got canceled long distance sprint distance they all got canceled um you know ev everything just got canceled so for me yes I, I kept up on 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 my training mostly on land i was trying to get in the canoe of a couple few times a week um but it's completely different training mindset than when you're actually in season and you have um races on the calendar that you are yeah. preparing for yeah um, so you, you know it makes makes me kind of wonder like how much i would have gotten done had race season actually been happening um and i wonder for you if you had been traveling to california back and forth like you have been or if you'd just been going to races and yeah so i don't know I, I think even though there are some bad things that came about with the pandemic obviously people died that's terrible um but you know events got canceled that's what i was getting at um as the bad um events got canceled but you're able to kind of almost recoup some losses by finding other other avenues to go down Absolutely. And, and focus your energy so i have to say for me personally this it's been it's been like a long kind of like this what is this april may june july august september so we're six months in now 
it's been like a six month like work vacation it's been for me it's been just we've had such a good time here like we've basically prior to chatterjack getting canceled I mean, we were paddling five days a week like like because you were still training for it oh yeah hard like i was i was this is the hardest i've trained in probably five years you know or at least since yukon but i was really you know it it was it's just been great we've been playing cards and hanging out we we haven't like i've I've been enjoying spending time with tracy We've, we've just been spending so much time together it's been it's been fucking awesome like obviously there's there's you know now we're getting some some covid spikes here We've had more cases in the last week than we had in the first like five months of the thing. Some woman died, some 51 year old woman died in a hotel room here or something. But, you know, again, it's like, I think we have this, this data and I'm not leaning one way or another on it, but it just doesn't feel as ominous as it did at the beginning. Cause I think we have some, some history with it now, at least I do. You know, I've seen, I, I know a bunch of people that have had it and it just seems to me like I'm not personally, I'm not too worried about it myself because I, I take care of myself. I eat good. And I keep my immune system strong and, you know, not to say, I don't know. I'm not a, a virus guy. I'm sure it could come and kick me in the face, but I'm just not, I'm not that worried about it, especially out here. But that was that beside the point, you know, it's been a really... I've gotten so many things done at the house. I've done a ton of reading and exercising and I've managed to drum up a bunch of work for the winter. And it's like, work has been good. Like every aspect of life has been amazing with the exception of not being able to travel. But again, to your point, it's given me a really good chance to kind of sit in my monkey mind and like realize always chasing these future events of like, Oh, when I get to this place, then I'll be here. And when I do this, then this will happen. But it's just like, can't do any of those things. Like, what are we going to do right here, right now? We're going to read a book and like hang out and play cards and walk the dog and, and just be happy with what we have. And it's been, for me, that's been a profound kind of shift in attitude of it really kind of shine the light on how much of my life was dependent upon certain situations and certain things being in place and how much of my time I spent looking to those future events and not being present in my own life. And that that's been like a huge awakening for me, man. Right on. Yeah. Let's talk about this Baja trip. So, so a little background story. A few years ago, Patrick mentioned that he wanted to take a sailing canoe down the Baja Peninsula. On the inside. On the inside. Yep. And, and so now the story and quest has reemerged. Yeah. But through that, through that realization, right? So viewing an Instagram post the other day, this guy... I just bought this catamaran on Craigslist and he was like, it's the greatest thing I ever bought. It's cheap. I get to go sail it. And it made me realize like what I was just saying a minute ago of like how much of my experience is dependent upon these outside circumstances lining up. And, you know, I reached out to the guy at Holopuni Canoes a couple of, you know, a year and a half ago. It's $28,000 for a, for a 30 foot sailing canoe properly rigged. 
And so that's always been kind of like the gate that's kept me from getting to this bucket list dream of sailing down the, the peninsula. And then I thought, oh, well, I can make one. And then it's okay, well, how long is that going to fucking take? Six months to, I've already designed it, but then I got to plank it, build the sailing rig, make sure it holds together. And then I, then I saw that guy's post, and then I just went on Craigslist here and like catamaran. I'm there in Jamestown, it's an 18 foot, pretty flat hulled cat. And I'm like, why not just do that? Why not just take a thousand dollar boat, trailer it to San Felipe, put it in the water, load a bunch of dry bags on a deck, and just point south and fucking sail for 800 miles. So you, so you put it up on the rocks, you put your bag on your back, you throw your, you know, you, you get yourself to the main highway and you, you catch your bus back to TJ and cross the border. It's like, I've hitchhiked down Baja, I've ridden my bicycle down Baja, I've driven its full length probably at least six times. I've flown it. I've, I've been down there 30 some times. And it's just like, there's no situation outside of like a serious medical event. There's no situation where you're going to be, it's not like you're in Namibia and you're like fucked. You're like thousands of miles from home. It's like you're in Baja. The entire peninsula at its widest point is like 80 miles across. And you know, worst case scenario, we bring a sat phone, we get evacuation insurance. And even if the worst case happens, you pull the phone, you get the helicopter from San Diego and they're there in half an hour. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not, not to take the fun and excitement out of it because it'll definitely be like some hair raising shit. But you know, when you really boil it down, it's not, it's, it's crazy, but it's like, it's totally doable. Sounds a lot better than paddling a thousand miles on the Yukon. Totally. Imagine that man hiking on a fucking trail. Probably hurt a lot less. I know. I think we could do it. Yeah. I mean, if we sailed, you know, if the weather cooperated and we didn't get like, the thing is that the winds blow down from from the desert all all winter long. They go north to south, and sometimes they nuke. But we would just have to, you know, put the sail out, put the, the spinnaker up, and just freaking downwind for. If we sailed for ten hours a day, we could cover a hundred, probably more than a hundred miles a day. But even if we just took our time and sailed eight hours a day, you know, we we could do it in less than two, in ten days. I think people, someone's actually done it. They've taken a Hobie cat. I know they went down the Pacific side. Someone went down the Pacific side and, or they circumnavigated the whole thing in 16 foot Hobie cats. Two guys did it, but it's just the kind of like, the thing that really appeals to me about it is that one, there's not a lot of expensive gear. The boat, basically you just leave it in Cabo and fly home. It's like, give it to some kid. It's like, dude, you want a boat? Walk away. It's a thousand <laughs> bucks. I couldn't, I couldn't build the, the, the molds for an outrigger sailing canoe. Well, I could build the mold, but I couldn't mold it and plank it and glass it for under a thousand dollars. Just for reference, how much did it cost for our registration and boat rental for the Yukon? What was the registration? Twelve hundred bucks that year? Any further questions, Your Honor? <laughs> right? So all we gotta do is get to San Felipe and then get flights home from from freaking Cabo San Lucas. I'm sure there's Cabo to Honolulu or like Wherever, you know, not Kahlua, what's that? Kahului. Even if not, you fly Kabul, LAX, LAX, Kahului, you're done. Yeah. Cheap flights. So I'm not I'm saying gonna, yes, but I'm not saying no. Cool. I'll, I'll, <laughs> go look at the, I'll go look at the boat, and if it looks like it's pretty sweet, then. I'm saying 
We need to talk more. Let's do it. I'm all about the talking. It's not something we just want to go. And there's a lot of shit, you know. It's midwinter. But it would be a fun trip, man. It would be super fun. And just to knock that off the list. Of, I haven't been to Baja in 13 fucking years, man. We got to get back. It would be even better if somebody met us in Cabo and then we drove back up and hit the points on the way north. Oh, man. <laughs> but there's only so much time, you know. But I think we there's, there's only so many people who, who we can coerce into a mission like that. So, you know. Which I got to say, one of my greatest joys in life is are having friends that, like yourself, but when you come up with a harebrained idea like that and you toss it out there, there's none of this like, oh, you're crazy. It's just like my kind of friends are the friends who are like, when are we going? <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that was my first response. My first response had to do with the uh, seaworthiness of, of said vessel that you found. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but you didn't definitely... you didn't say like, oh, this is crazy. It's just no, awesome. because it's it's completely doable. Totally. totally. Uh, it, especially when I think about some of um, the other trips I've done. One just off the top of my head, I I brought a boat back from uh, Bermuda to um, Buzzards Bay, and about two days into bringing the boat back, the guy who owned the boat was questioning one, if we had enough water for the trip and two, if we had enough fuel. Oh, geez. And it was a sailboat. So I wasn't really worried about the fuel. Yeah. But the water, I don't know how you didn't calculate that right, pal. Yeah. So needless to say, I think you and I might be, some better planners than this guy was. Yeah. Plus, I think you can get those little, uh, I, I mean, you wouldn't need it because you're never going to be, you know, San Felipe to Bahia, Los Angeles is probably 200 miles. And then Bahia, Los Angeles to El Rosario, I mean, Santa Rosalita, Santa Rosalia is like 150 miles. And then Rosalia to Mulahe is like 60, 50 miles. And then Mulahe to Loretto is probably a hundred, uh, maybe 200. And then Loretto La Paz is 150, and then La Paz Cabo is probably 150, so it's not that far. Um, so in 2011, part of uh, the gear that Mike Simpson and I had coming up the East Coast, we had these tablets that converted salt water into an electrolyte drink. What? Yes. It worked. I don't know if we ever tried it actually. Huh. It, huh. it was it was part of our like our oh shit kit, yeah. right? And we never got to the point of oh shit. Um, we did run out of water after uh, a three day a three day stint of of camping and paddling, but at the end of that day that day we got to a place where uh, we were able to get water, but. Um, we were, we were traveling that, that part of the trip was, um, the outer islands of Georgia and very remote, just uninhabited yeah. islands. And, um, 
so we never got to the point where we had to use those tablets, but I'm sure the technology only got better. Yeah. But they're designed for an oh shit. Yeah. Moment. They aren't like, oh, let's just go to the beach and make some Gatorade. Yeah. Uh, so. Power, it's C Powerade. Um, they are, you can also get, uh, Diesel pumps now. Those those Higginbottom brothers that paddled from Alaska to Baja and paddle on prone boards. They mm -hmm. have. They're like. They're for they're like life raft. Like, you know, it's basically pumps a gallon an hour or a gallon every two hours. Some, but they're they're like twelve hundred bucks or something. So I mean, even if, you know, that's not going to break the bank. I don't think you need it, but. Well, you know, maybe the way you find stuff on the beaches of Nantucket, uh, you might be able to find a better catamaran spending the thousand dollars and having to leave the island to get it. Yeah. But the whole thing, <laughs> that, the whole thing about that rig is that it's complete, but you know, I don't, it's just amazing when you get something that doesn't need any work. It's just yeah. like, Oh, put the sails on, check all the rigging, take it to Baja and sail 800 miles. <laughs> Easy plan. Totally. Think about the whale sharks. Go swimming with whale sharks in those outer islands, man. Fuck, it'd be amazing. Well, we'll see. If it happens, it happens. But I'll definitely push for it to happen. All plans for the future. Future yep. competitions. Yes, sir. But, well, I think it was good to kind of catch up. Um, yeah, man. We've been, been silent for a little too long, and so... Yeah. It was good to, to break the silence. Um, we do have a few people that we are hoping to to connect with, and we can we can pick their brains yeah. about more more training and paddling and yeah. life stuff. So Indeed. until then, we'll keep moving forward. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope as always you were able to get something out of our banter. As we touched on in this episode, every bit of your time is an investment and our hope for the last year has been to bring you a decent ROI. We're so thankful for all of you that continue to make an investment and listen to us ramble about the worlds of paddling, training, and life. Please connect with us on Instagram at wicked.aloha.podcast if there is some topic you want us to tackle or someone you want us to talk to. We'll do our best to try and make that happen as we keep moving forward.